Hi, everybody. Welcome to Mormonish. I'm Rebecca. And I'm Landon. And we are so excited about our guest today. We have wanted to have her on for quite a while. And we finally, our schedules align, the stars align, and we have the amazing Lila Tuller on today. How are you, Lila? I'm good. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we are so excited to chat with you and get to know you better. And I believe, Landon, that you have a bio that you can read uh, before we get going. I do. Yep. Uh, as you stated, uh, this is Lila Rector Tuller. She's the daughter of Harmon Rector Jr., who was a general authority back uh, when we were growing up. So it's it's been a while. Uh, she has seven kids, three boys, four girls. Uh, she has eight going on nine grandchildren. Uh, she's the sixth of nine children and was born into Mormonism, although her parents uh, were converts. And that's one of the interesting things is her uh, dad, I think, was the first general authority in the modern era to be a convert uh, that was made a general authority. Right. Uh, she's raised all of her family in the church up until five years ago. She loves art. Uh, she designs fabric for a major manufacturing company and also works as the supervisor of the general store at Sundance Ski Resort. So up there at the fancy area. Uh, she loves science, art, music, ocean, babies, animals, and all the beauty that is found in nature. She also finds people's experiences in life to be fascinating. So that's Lila. That's Lila. That's a wonderful bio. That bio just makes me smile all around. <laughs> that's super happy. No, we're really, really excited to have you on the program today. And um, I have met you twice. I don't know if you remember the first time it was at Sandra Tanner's wonderful um, memorial, not memorial. That makes it sound like she's passed away. She hasn't. It was like a celebration. And that yeah. was in Alpine yeah. last year. Do you remember that? Yeah, there were a lot I of people there know. celebrating. That was and the release of okay. her new book, Lighthouse. That's yeah. right. And then more recently, both Landon and I met you at the film premiere of The Return of Elder Pingree that was at Brewbees in Salt Lake. Ah, so that was yeah, fun. That was really fun. And that's when Landon and I kind of went, hey, Lila, we got to get her on. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and that was you. it. Yeah, no, that yeah. was really fun. So I think we'd kind of like to just to start by, why don't you tell us a little bit, I think you have such a unique uh, childhood and how you were raised. Why don't you just tell us a little bit about your growing up? And as Landon pointed out, your dad was Harmon Rector Jr., who I also had an experience when I was younger with too. So maybe we'll kind of talk about that as we going along, but we'd love to hear about how you were raised in your childhood and your family and all of that. Okay. Um, I'll try to just make it a reader's digest <laughs> version. Um, so like I, uh, I grew up in on the East coast in Virginia. Um, and my dad worked at the, um, department of agriculture with one of the Benson sons, one of, I, it was Reed Benson and Ezra Taft Benson was actually there at the time too. So that's how my dad kind of got into that little group of the Bensons. And I think that's how he ended up getting called. I, I'm not even like, that's the story I was told was that they kind of name dropped him and said he would be a great um, missionary. Like he needs to be a mission president and he should, you know, he should be called to be because uh, we don't haven't had any converts. So that's how we got called out to Salt Lake. I was about eight just before my eighth birthday, we moved out in 1969 and we, um, 
the first thing they did after we were there for a couple of years and then they sent them to be a, a mission. I had never been a mission president before. Usually it goes the other way around. You do the mission president and then you get called, but he, he did it the other way. So they called him to be in the, the first quarter of the 70. Anyway, so my life was kind of like, we're going to live here for a little bit and then we're going to go to Florida. And he was a mission president there. Then we came back to Salt Lake Then he went to San Diego and was a mission president there. Then we came back to Salt Lake and he went to Ecuador and was a mission president there. So we were moving around a lot and I was just kind of getting thrown back and forth between homes and schools. And, um, that was kind of hard because as soon as I'd start making friends, you know, we had to move again, but it was all part of the, the calling and my parents traveled constantly. They were, they were traveling all over the world. He was speaking everywhere. And I, and my family, my, my little brother and my little sister and I, and my one older brother, the rest of them were gone. We had nine kids, but a lot of them were gone. We were watched by other ward members. You know, we would get farmed out kind of. So it was an interesting childhood. I I don't, I don't think a lot of people realize what happens to the kids of the general authorities and how, what that life is really like. Um, I felt like I didn't even really know my dad. He was just gone all the time. And when he was home, my mom, if my mom didn't go with him, which was a lot of the time she didn't go, a lot of times she did go, she would just kind of complain about all the things us kids did wrong while he was gone. And so then he'd be mad and we'd get in trouble. So it was just kind of this, um, I just felt like I didn't really get to know my dad and he didn't know me, but he knew everybody else. Everybody else knew who, <laughs> knew who he was, but not us kids. So yeah. Yeah, he's hard. a public figure, a beloved right. public figure in the church. And yet, and I'm guessing you must've been one of the younger children in the family. Is that right? If yeah. everyone else was gone. Well, I was and... number six. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So the little ones were left and farmed out. Yeah. You just don't hear about that. And, and, and yeah. then when you do hear the kids talking as adults, they're always just like, it was wonderful. My dad was, you know, I it know. seems like they're just buy into the whole thing. So did you have a sense, did you know like who he was, his role. Did you understand, you know, he's this guy that's way up there in the church. I mean, I know it didn't make it easier, but what, what was your thought process? Did you understand kind of who he was and his function? I mean, I think I did. Um, I knew, you know, not maybe right away. It took a minute for me to understand, but he was, you know, right after he was called, he was in the newspaper and cause we moved to Salt Lake and all of a sudden, you know, there was this big fuss about him and in our neighborhood, everyone was like, oh, you know, and, and making a fuss about us. And I, I just, you know, it took me a little while to understand what it was happening, but I realized that my dad was not going to be around. Like he had been around and now he wasn't going to be around. And, um, I think I resented that. I resented that my mom went with him a lot for, we're talking a month long trips for a month they'd be traveling and then they'd come back and they'd be home for a little while, maybe a couple of months and then another month long trip. So we were just constantly going from family to family, to family, to family in our ward. So I'm you sure would, they were like, you would go over to the ward 
neighbor's house and stay at their house or stay for a month. Wow. So you'd be sleeping on the floor in a sleeping bag or something. Yeah. Wherever they could put me. And my kids separated. Like you did not go. Oh, Oh, oh my goodness. So my little brother went to a home. I went to one of my little friend's homes. He was only two when this started. So he has memories of, you know, from the time he can, as early as he can remember, um, just going to random people's houses for a month at a time and, and not knowing why, you know, what was happening. I think it really affected him. And we found out later, one of the families that he was watched at, um, the father was, has been put in prison, prison for being a pedophile. So he doesn't know if he was, if anything bad happened to him, but he was, cause he was too little to remember. So, you know, there was things like that. Um, so it wasn't all rosy. There were fun things about it. You know, we got to go to conference. We got to sit in the conference center and we got to go to the lunch that they had between the morning session and the afternoon session. It was all very fancy and fun, you know, to do that. We were, um, I don't know, there was a place called Aspen Grove up the canyon that we would, it was a family camp and that was free. And so we would go up there every year. I did that for 11 years straight, went to Aspen Grove. And so I really got to love that place. There was just, you know, we got to go to BYU free tuition. Um, There were a lot of things that were paid for by the church that made life easier on, you know, on my parents and therefore us. Um, and I didn't, I didn't know at the time how much they were making on top of the, of the little, you know, all the paid for things, but I know they were making, they, they did pay them. So they, they were paid clergy, basically. They were you, paid you hear clergy. that there's no paid clergy, but they, <laughs> but there they is. didn't have any That's other right. career. You heard that it was here. their career was the church. <laughs> That's right. They were paid. So yeah. that's baloney. I think the under, you know, the local clergy is not paid like the bishops and the state presidents, but those guys up there are definitely paid and they're have comfortable livings. They have cars given to them. They have health insurance given to them, full coverage, health insurance. They have, you know, there's a lot of things that they don't have to pay for. My mom and dad went shopping at the, they called it the Deseret dance grocery store or something and it was like you could just go shop there and everything that you shop there was free it was covered by the church for the general authorities wow so you know all our shampoo and toothpaste and all that kind of stuff was all there um and food bulk food so you know they made it as easy as they could and and as you know years have passed i've found out more and more about what they're paid now and how much more i think they're paid now because they have it they have so much money as we all know that um nobody's suffering in the general authorities they have lots of money did you get to know other general authorities kids and how well did you get to know the actual you know apostles or prophets uh, right. i'm sure with the 70 there's that's a lot of people <laughs> how often did you get to meet yeah these well okay i would say um we went to those family camps in, at aspen grove with other general authorities so i got to meet their families there 
And I also went to high school with, you know, well, Richard Hanks's family um, was there. It went to the same school as me. President Nelson's family went to my East High school. Um, so I knew several of his daughters that went to East High. Um, there were, you know, there were kids, some of them went to Highland, some went to, you know, different high schools, but the ones that went to um, East High, which there were a few, I knew them. And we, you know, we kind of were tight because we knew we were GA kids, right? Um, so yeah, I got to meet them. And then I did go on a trip with my parents to, um, we went to Haiti, we went to Brazil, Argentina, Chile, uh, Puerto Rico. That's all I can think of. Those five countries we traveled. So I went with my parents for about a, a month long trip when I was 13 years old. So they would take each one of us kids once on a trip with them. So I got, you know, cleared from school and went with them and got to travel with the whole group of, it was President Kimball and it was, you know, um, Thomas Monson was on the trip. Um, who else? Several, you know, the GAs from those days that you would recognize right. were traveling with us and we were going, we we're touring these countries. So it was meeting after meeting after meeting. And I was 13 and I was going crazy. Oh. It was like, <laughs> Did you attend crazy. the meetings? So you yeah, didn't get to stay in the hotel and swim in the pool. You had to go to the I meetings. would have loved to have stayed in the hotel. <laughs> the oh pool. my goodness. No, my parents wanted me there. I, oh. I was going with them. I had to put on the dress and the whole nine yards and sit through these long missionary training meetings. That's what they were. As a 13-year-old, that must have been hell. Yeah, it was, it was rough. And my friends all thought I was going to come back with a tan because, you know, we were going to all these warm places. And I was like, you guys, I didn't see the sun. I didn't get to spend one minute outside. I sat in the I was, pews and that was it. Yeah. So did you did you feel the pressure as like you said, a GA kid? Did you feel the pressure you knew that you had to put on a certain persona and you had to act a certain way and everybody was looking yeah. at you? Was there that kind of pressure? I can imagine. There was. There was a lot of pressure. Um, my dad would try not to, I think he... I think he worried about that a little bit, but he also was like, don't you dare, you know, do anything that I would be embarrassed of. Yeah. You behave, you, you know, you be an example. You need to keep the rector name clean. You know, make sure that you, uh, you know, watch your P's and Q's and you behave. So there was a lot of pressure there. Don't be swearing, you know, make sure you're, you're not going to the wrong movies and you're not hanging out with the wrong kids and you're dressing well, you know, modestly. I, I got to imagine that. in high school that, that that had to just been horrible uh, because <laughs> it's like, you know, it's you want to yeah. kiss a boy, but it's like, oh, if I do that, is it going to get around? Or did you kiss a boy and it oh got around? God. And I said, that lie, like she's a... You know. Yeah. <laughs> you well, went there, Landon. You know, <laughs> when we went to San Diego, I was uh, 15 um, with my dad was mission president in San Diego. I was 15 when we got there and we stayed for two years. So I left when, well, no, maybe I was almost 18, almost 18 when we left. 
And, you know, that's just the time that the missionaries are looking cute to me because they're like kind of my age, a little bit older. And I was like having all these crushes on missionaries and stuff. And <laughs> my dad, you know, sometimes we lived in San Diego. I'd be in the backyard in a swimsuit, getting some sun and the missionaries would come over and my mom would come out and be like, oh, get out of here. What are you doing? Run here, put this towel on and you get the old temptress clothes on. Right. And then they wanted me to play. I played the piano. So I had to play all the opening and closing songs to all their testimony meetings that they held in the mission home. And I had to help my mom cook all the meals. So I was like the little slave at the time with the missionaries. And I had to be. So I sat through. I can't even tell you how many comings and goings of missionary groups where I had to play the opening and the closing song. And then listen to all of them, bear their testimony. And it went on forever. And then have the dinner, you know, before they all left and do the dishes and just the whole thing. Um, and it was embarrassing because I was dating at that time. And, and uh, some of the, the, I wasn't necessarily dating Mormon boys because there weren't any. I only had two Mormon boys in my high school. And one of them I did date, but the other one, I had no interest in dating <laughs> and he was younger than me too. So my dad, because he was a convert, he would say, it's okay if you date more um, non-Mormon boys, just get them baptized. You know, wow. you set the example. You can <laughs> right. So he wanted me to like live my gospel, you know, live yeah. the, the values so that they would want to join the church. Right. And being a good yeah. example to them. So it wasn't about who you liked. It was about converting them and making yeah. sure the church, you couldn't have that relationship. Wow. Well, right. Well, and I wasn't the best at that. I just, <laughs> I just wasn't the best at that. You know, there was a couple of times where I was on out with a boyfriend and we would pull up to my house and you could hear the missionaries singing from, you know, oh. as we're pulling in, you could hear them just at the top of their lungs singing hymns. And they would, this one boy looked at me and he said, what is going on in your house? What is that? And I was like, oh, well, they're, they're missionaries. And he was like, what are you talking about? Missionaries? He was so thrown off. And he was like, what are you, so your dad is what? You know, and I explained, oh, he, you know, we're Mormons. And he said, wait a sec, you're Mormon? And I said, yeah. And he goes, so you're one of those weird people that like have multiple wives and, and right. you don't drink and you don't smoke and you don't have sex and you're just, you're <laughs> one of them. And I was like, yeah. I go, do you want to read the Book of Mormon? <laughs> like, no. <laughs> No, and and the answer like, was, bye -bye. Yeah. no, yeah. oh, no, and bye-bye. We're not dating anymore because uh, I, he fully was expecting, you know, uh, some action and all of that. And that just yeah. wasn't going to happen. Wasn't going to happen. Well, I've got to ask, as a, as a <laughs> teenage girl, 17, 18 years old, and hundreds of boys, literally 19, 20-year-old boys are coming in your house. I mean, it had to be like you're in a candy shop, but you can't touch anything. <laughs> Did yes. any and you're you're a cute girl. How many times did you get hit on by missionaries? Did that happen? It, and how do you handle that? that? Happened a few times. It mm -hmm. happened a few times, and my dad would just tell them 
knock it off. Yeah. She is not, you do not touch her. (laughs) She is off limits. You know, and I was young, I was 16, 17 and you know, they're supposed to be focused, but the guys that were in the office, see, they were there a lot. Yeah. So I got to see them all the time. And I had a major crush on one of the boys in the office. And I kind of let the cat out of the bag that I thought he was really cute. And I was really interested in him. And so the other guys in the office were always teasing him and like trying to get us in the same room. And, you know, they would make little comments and stuff. And like, I really like thought I was going to marry him. I, I had a dream that I was going to marry him. Anyway, I was 17. He left and went back to home, which was here in Salt Lake. And he went to BYU and he, before I knew it, he was engaged like two months later. Of course. Broke my heart. I was devastated. I thought I'll never find the right one because he was the right one for me. And now I'm just going to have to settle for second best. I'll never find the right guy. And I'm literally like 17 years old, you know, it's all over Uh, at 17. Well, I can only imagine that some, a lot of letters written home probably mentioned, oh, and President Rector is this beautiful daughter. <laughs> I mean, oh, I don't how know hard how on the missionaries, that. right? To have you there. <laughs> oh my gosh. It was crazy. It was good times though. I mean, I, I look back on it fondly. I learned a lot. I had, you know, some fun experiences. High school was awful, awful. I had mean girls that hated me. I bet. And I was traumatized. They were Mormon. They were the Mormon girls in the school. I I could see that because yeah, you're the, you know, you're the general authority's daughter. You're the, you know, you're the chosen one. The chosen one and very pretty. And yeah, no, I could see that. Yeah. They did not like me at all. And they actually spread rumors about me. I said this on John Dillon's podcast, but (laughs) that I was gay or bi. I think well, That's I didn't even know if bi was a term then. I don't even know if bi was an actual, maybe it was, yeah. but that I was a lesbian is what oh, I, they told oh, everyone in the school Interesting. that. Yeah. And I didn't know that and had no idea until I got, you know, when school started. So I moved in the summer of my junior year before my junior year. Um, so everybody knows everybody I'm coming in as a junior cold. I don't oh, know anybody. Yeah. But these two Mormon girls that were in my school and they went to my ward. So I knew them. We had hung out together all summer and they had spread unbeknownst to me. As soon as school started, they started saying, yeah, she's, she's a lesbian. So the boys were kind of like put off, but kind of intrigued. Yeah. I was going to say, you know what I mean? Don't stop most boys guys. Are- <laughs> I can fix that. Yeah, it's that extra layer of mystique. We don't know what yes, she's doing like, or who she is. She's oh, that's interesting. Whereas the that. girls were like thought I was weird, except yeah. for the lesbian girls. And there was a little group of lesbian girls in my high school. Oh. They were playing tennis with me that summer at because I took te- tennis as a summer school class, and I didn't know they were. You know, I didn't know that, and they're yeah. in my, my tennis class. And they started inviting me over to hang out. Anyway, it got dicey and I had to call my mom to come get me from their house. because I was like, this is scaring me. They're doing weird things. <laughs> Not what and you then, expected. Oh, yeah. My goodness. So anyway, it, it was a wild ride. That is <laughs> a wild ride. 
Oh my gosh. And then yeah. I think I remember that um, you got married probably before going to school. Is that right? Like you were married at a fairly. Um, well, I, I started BYU okay. and I got okay. married the fall. So I started in the okay. fall, got married the following April. Okay. So it was standard only a BYU months. plan. Standard BYU <laughs> plan. That's it. It was super fast. Yeah. And I kind of had made this deal with God because the missionary didn't work out. I said, the next guy that I have a, a, a relationship with is going to be the guy I'm supposed to marry. So bring him, bring him to me. You're We're right. Gonna, yeah, I'm ready. This is it. I want to go have a family and, and have babies. And I'm just going to be, you know, Molly Mormon yeah. and all that. And that, so I actually did when um, I, before I left, California, we were going, I was going back to Salt Lake with my parents because the mission was over. I was also the summer before I started BYU and my sister had me come visit her up in Northern California in the San Francisco Bay area. And she had a boy she wanted to line me up with up there in her ward. And that's the guy I married. I met him and we were boom. It just happened that summer and got married the very next spring. So yeah, I wasn't quite 19 yet. I was really young. Yeah, but I everybody was. was back then. You were raised I, to do that. I mean, that was the plan, right? Especially back in those yeah. years, you know, the early yeah. 80s. That is what we all did. That's what you that's did. What we were told is our, yeah. that's our ultimate, you know, we're going to have kids and you don't really need to go to school. You can, right. but you don't really need to because your husband it's yeah. going to be the breadwinner yeah. and you're just going to pump those babies out, man. And what, it's all going to be great. As, as a general authority's daughter or son, is there an expectation that, you know, oh, you know, he, he's the stake president's son, or he's another general authority son, yeah. you know, just a regular, you know, the elder scorn president's son. Was there any of that, uh, you know, pressure to marry someone at some certain level or, is that oh i see what you're saying yeah no i don't think so i mean there may be in other families my i didn't feel that pressure that i needed to marry a big name or a legacy kind of family my sisters had you know i had i had four sisters married before i was and a brother and none of them married special you know mormon families so i didn't really feel that it was pretty much whoever I wanted, you know, to fell in love with. And it just happened to be a total pioneer Mormon family on both sides, you know. So they were, you know, multi-generational Mormons. And I just was this one, you know, yes. one step away from being a convert Mormon family, which was very different. My parents didn't know all the, you know, the, the culture. They weren't cultural Mormons. They had to learn all of that and, and they were not super good at it. I'm sure they were breaking rules right and left and people, you know, we would get the shock look sometimes like your dad did what, you know, I thought, cause he would have rated our movies playing all the time down in the basement. He, and, and I'd have my friends over and he'd say, you guys, you want to watch this movie with me? He loved watching movies and it would be stuff like, um, was one of them, uh, exorcist. Oh, he had, my friends and I sit down and watch The Exorcist with him. And it was wild. I mean, it was like scary and not, you know, Mormon 
approved. Yeah, no. <laughs> Other rated R movies, and he loved the ones where they were were swearing a lot because he was in the military. Oh. So he had a very colorful mouth before he joined, right. which he really cleaned it up. He did, but he thought it was so funny. He would laugh and laugh at the loud at the swearing. <laughs> he thought that was the funniest stuff. So of course, you know, we would laugh too, but we weren't allowed to swear. We could laugh at it, but we couldn't swear. That was not okay with him. But I know he, you know, in the, in the Navy, I'm sure he was, and he smoked, you know, my mom smoked. She had her little gold cigarette case that, with a C on it and they drank socially. And, um, you know, they were, this they is were after they joined the church. Oh no, no. Before. I was going to say not after. Yeah. yeah how did no. they join? I'm just so curious how they joined. Oh, I'll try to, I'll try to say this fast. <laughs> You're good. This is fascinating. We're just like I completely mesmerized. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is kind of, I guess, fun to hear when you haven't heard yeah, no, before, it's but... fascinating. So my mom and dad met, they both lived in Moberly, Missouri, which is a little town. And um, my mom was only 14 when my dad proposed to her. Oh, wow. He was going off to the Navy and he knew he was going to be gone for four years. And he thought she was the cutest thing he'd ever seen. And he said, I'm going to let you grow up for four years and I'm going to come back and I'm going to marry you. And literally on the sidewalk, they had never really talked before. And he said that to her and she was like starry eyed and said, okay. And then he did, he came back from, he was gone for four years, came back and took her away from her boyfriend and they got married. So <clears throat> he made right on that. And then they'd been married for maybe, let's see, they had, she was pregnant with her third baby. They were living in San Diego. He was uh, at the military there. And um, the missionaries knocked on the door while my dad was away um, on a trip, uh, on a ship in China and, or something like that. Yeah, Japan, sorry, not China. Sorry, my, my throat's kind of tickling. I'm going to cough if I don't. Have a drink. Throat. We're all going to have a drink. Landon, get your mug. We're taking a drink break right now. <laughs> break. <laughs> you guys have coffee? There is. I have, I don't know, something no, for the swig. Don't tell anybody. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was going to have a nice big Diet Coke because I need one right ah, now. Ah, but... yes. That's what I have. I think I have it's Diet Coke oh. with some coconut cream, you know, those Ooh, signature. The dirty amazing, one. Only in Utah. Yeah, it's terrible. Yes. Terrible. <laughs> Terrible. Terrible. Anyway, I've had many, so don't feel bad. <laughs> um, yeah, so the missionaries tracked it into my mom. And she was pregnant and had two little kids. And they left her some information. And then they also left her the Book of Mormon. And she started reading it. And my dad had been on this quest to find the truth. And that had been a driving force for him. He had been looking going through religion after religion after religion, trying to find the truth. And he would pray about it. That was his nightly prayer was, please, God, please show me the truth. So my mom knew that he was looking. They'd never heard of Mormonism, had no idea who Mormons were. And my mom let them in and they taught her and they taught her several of the lessons. And she wrote a letter because back then there was no email. She wrote a letter to my dad um, saying that she was um, being taught by the missionaries and he was scared 
that these were young men hitting on his wife. So he cut his trip short and got on a plane and came back as fast as he could to, to see her and to find out what she, what was really going on. Right. And she handed him the book of Mormon. She said, here, read this. They left me with this. So, and he's been through all these religions, right. And, and they're all not passing muster. So he opens a book. He says, Hmm, written by a man. I'll shoot it down in 15 minutes, you know, and he starts reading it and he got completely sucked in by the book of Mormon. That was his, he was, he was a book of Mormon convert. And it, he said that it, it did something to his heart and he knew it was true. He just knew it was true. So he said, whatever you want me to do, I'll quit smoking. I'll quit drinking. I'll, I'll quit all of this right now, today, whatever I have to do, I want to get baptized. So they had to like, at the time you had to be an investigator for a year or something like that before wow. you could be baptized. Wow, what and that he was cool. like, we're not waiting a year. You know, we're not, I think it's we're a couple waiting. hours now. Right. I mean, you don't even have to take the lessons. If somebody says, I want to get baptized. They just go take the dunk yet. Yeah, yeah. I think my dad might be, might've had something to do with that. He invented mm, that I remember that era. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. So that's how they got it. He and my mom and they got baptized separately. He was on a ship and they had to baptize him in, in ice covered ocean out in the freezing ocean. And my mom got baptized in a font. So totally different places, but, uh, that was what, how they came in. And I mean, he was all in man on fire. Wow. And still was really his whole life, pretty much. Yep. Yeah. I remember, I mean, do you remember him at all, Landon? Maybe you don't, because you're younger I, I, than I Like I say, the name, as soon as I hear the name, it's like, yes, because it's such an unusual name, you know, yeah. uh, right. Harmon yeah. Rector Jr., but uh, yeah. I, I couldn't put the face with him. Uh, right. So I remember that he wrote some books, I think, maybe some pamphlets. So I do remember his name. And then, of course, the one reason I always wanted to connect with you, I'll tell this story now very briefly, is because when I was in college, I actually um, got to sit on the other side of his desk in the church office building. I got to go visit him in his office. Yeah, this would have been 1986. Because and you were probably married, married by that point yeah, with a had kid. a couple kids. Yeah, yep. that's what I was thinking. But um, I had a boyfriend at BYU who went on a mission, went into the MTC, and then while he was in the MTC, he decided to come out. He decided not that he didn't believe the church; he just thought a mission was not for him. And he was going to Honduras, a very scary place in the day. There had been some missionaries yeah. killed the year before. Yeah, so he just didn't want to go anymore. So he came out. So his family disowned him at that point, asked me if I would disown him also, you know, cause that's how you kind of help people get back on the track. Yeah. Oh, the shunning. Yes. Yeah, the exactly. Shunning. So I wouldn't do it. And I've told the story before, but somebody in my, my boyfriend's family was connected to, um, it must've been one of your brothers, because I remember my boyfriend said, my older brother knows the son. Anyway, it was something connected to your family. Anyway, they arranged an interview for us to go to the church office building and talk wow. to your dad. Yeah. And I think it was, a, it was an interesting moment for me because I kind of thought, well, 
we'll tell him our story and he'll probably understand, you know, that my boyfriend just doesn't want to go and he'll give us some life advice and we'll move on. I mean, I just, <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking, but when you say your dad's a passionate know. guy, yeah, yeah, you already know what happened. He's such a passionate guy, you know, and being a convert. And I did not know that about him, but yeah, he definitely talked to us in a way that just said, you know, you're making a huge mistake. And, mm -hmm. you know, you as a young Latter-day Saint woman should definitely you know, do all you can to push him back into the mission. And you as a Latter-day Saint young man, you need to be going. So it was a very interesting experience. It was my first and probably only experience, except for running into um, President Oaks on an airplane once, but actually interacting and talking. So yeah. he definitely right out of the gate was super passionate about making sure that we understood, no, you guys, you know, you're, yeah. and I can see it from his perspective. You know, he probably thought, oh no, you know, these young people, this is a, a moment where they either veer off this way or that way. And so he was definitely trying to encourage us, but, but it was really interesting. Yeah. And for me, I walked away from that going, oh, interesting. Okay. So I think that these Lord's anointed are just men because he didn't really understand what I was trying to say, or didn't really say the things yeah. that, that would matter there to wasn't me. Any... Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. And, and my boyfriend, he walked away just going, you know, I deserved that. So it was a different kind of a take that we had on it. For wow. me, it did kind of put me on a different path because coming to that realization that, you know, here's, I understand why this man is saying this to us, but he is just a man. That's what I realized. And that wow. kind of allowed me yeah. to keep a little distance through, well, the next four decades that I stayed in the church, but still keep a little oh, distance. Dear. Whereas my boyfriend, we did not marry and he went on, he's still active today, you know, raised a family in the church wow. and everything. So, but interesting. Wow. Interesting, uh, just an interesting encounter, but I, I definitely could tell that he was extremely passionate about the religion. And now that you've told me the story of his being a convert and, you know, choosing it as opposed to being born into it, I can understand that he would have no yeah. time of day for these punky little kids that are going, we just don't want to do it. Yeah. <laughs> so. He thought that he had the truth and yeah. that was it. So, so yeah, so I've always kind of wanted to connect to you and tell you that story because it was, you know, kind of a pivotal story about your dad that happened yeah. to me when I was younger in 86. So, yeah. and so at that point, like I said, you're married and you have kids and then you raise your family in the church and you're the daughter of a 70 and your kids are the grandkids of a 70. And so tell us a little bit about that. Oh, okay. Um, well, I married a guy who had been a fanboy of my dad. And I didn't know that until we'd been dating a while. And then he let up the cat out of the bag that he had all my dad's talks on tape and had been listening to them through his whole mission before we met. Right. He didn't know me, but he loved my dad and he knew all his talks by heart. He could tell you everything about my dad. It was like he was obsessed. So when we met, of course, he was. I'm marrying her because that's Hartman Rector daughter, Junior's daughter. And that means I'll be in tight with him. And, he, you know, he was like, it was like meeting your favorite celebrity, you know? So he was really excited about it. I didn't know there was all that. He proposed to me after nine days. Nine days? Well, he, <laughs> he said it, it wasn't a classic proposal, but he told me that he had a dream. And this is on the ninth day where I was visiting my sister and he was in her ward. So we were hanging out every day because she lined us up on the first day. And then it was every day after that. And he said, I had a dream last night that we got married in the Salt Lake temple in April of next year. 
And I said, oh, funny, I didn't have that dream. <laughs> he said, right, right. You. <laughs> yeah, I was like, uh, don't we both need to know that? But he said, no, I did. And um, he goes, I just have this feeling inside that that's what's going to happen. We are going to get married. And I was like, whoa, okay, slow down, cowboy. I wasn't quite on board, board yet. I, I was excited to date him, but we'd only know each other a few days. So it was, a, it was a bit fast for me. And then we dated as soon as <clears throat> I went to BYU. I was a freshman and he was, he was back at BYU after his mission. He'd been home a year. And we just had this whirlwind thing where he just basically swept me off my feet, didn't let me date anybody else. And we got married super fast. So then we started having kids right away. Although it took me a little while to get pregnant. I don't know why, but we had our, our first child in 81 and we'd been married in um, 70, let's see, no, in 80. And then we just kept having them. <laughs> That's all I can say. He worked at the MTC um, and he went to BYU and I went to BYU. But after I had my first child, I dropped out yeah. because I just thought, no, I'm, I'm here to have children. That's what I'm here for. Be it's married. too hard. Yep. That's a classic story. It's just too difficult when she start having kids. It's yeah. Too much. So I stopped, kept having babies. Um, I only wanted four. That was my cutoff. I wanted four kids and he was down with that allegedly. <laughs> but when we had the four kids, I told him, I said, okay, we're having a yard sale. We're getting rid of the crib, the stroller, the car seat, all that we're done. And he was not The plan was because I'd have had all the babies. It was his turn and he would go take care of it himself. Right. Yes. That's right. Easy in and out, you know, Yep. And, um, he never, he didn't, he kept, he had appointments, but he kept canceling them. And then lo and behold, shockingly, I got pregnant with another one. That was my fifth. And I was like, I was upset about it, but I kind of just, you know, okay, you didn't do, you know, you didn't follow instructions. So we have another one. And then that happened three more times. No, two more times where it was five years later, I got pregnant again, five years later, I got pregnant again. And when I had the seventh one, I was like, that is it. You're not, when I found out I was pregnant, I said, you're not touching. <laughs> We're done. Yeah. I the knife yourself. <laughs> what was that? You went and got the kitchen knife yourself and said, I, yeah, oh. I, I was ready to, I was yeah. ready to. But he did then at that point, he took care of things. And so that was the last baby we had, but I was 42 when I had my last oh, child. Wow. So, yeah. And he's still living with me. His truck's right oh. out there. Oh. Uh, he's my, my last, my little caboose, but you know, that's what happens when you had one at 42. Yeah. They're around for a while. And they're around. I get that. I had my last at third. I was like a couple months away from being 40. So yeah, it's interesting. Okay, yeah, and then you hit late. like, you know, your fifties, you're like, oh, I'm kind of tired. What am I doing with a 14 year old? <laughs> you know? I know, and none of your I friends know. have that, right? Your friends are like, right? you know, their grandparents already. And you're like, what? what yeah. I 
and my friends are out they're empty nesters and they're yeah. out partying and traveling and stuff yeah. and yeah yeah so that's been interesting my last two have kind of been well their dad died you know so they hang with mom and they kind of glommed on to me those two youngest yeah. ones really did um want to be here and I understand that you know they went yeah. through some trauma of course so, absolutely yeah. Yeah, because I yeah. think I think um, that I learned from some of your other podcasts that you've done that then the marriage finally sort of came to an end at a certain point after a number of years, quite a quite a number of years, I think. Yeah, thirty three. Well, thirty four. Yeah, yeah. thirty four um, was when the divorce was final. Right. Um, we had had a rocky relationship. It had just been hard. We were too young. I was too young. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'll take the blame. I was too young. He was 22. So he's pretty young too. You know, we were both youngsters and, um, there was just a lot of pressure on all of us. And, um, he came from a very, very staunch Mormon family. They were harder on him than my parents were on me by a long shot and his sister married a GA's son so it was like and and his parents served several missions and were mission presidents and I mean they were upper echelon Mormons he was state president for a long time and you know really great people really great salt of the earth people but there was a lot of Mormon culture in there and um you know he expected me to be a certain way that I wasn't So that caused conflict, you know, we just had a rough time and we really just at the end there, when it was our 33rd year, approximately, we just both kind of realized that we kind of, we kind of wanted to be happy, you know, he wanted to be happy. I wanted to be happy. So we did, we, we did separate and get a divorce and it was probably the most amicable divorce you could hope for. There was no, um, no lawyer, there was no money, there was no, it was just, okay, we're parting ways, we did it online. It was literally 150 bucks each. And it was so, I moved down the street, I was in the same ward. I lived right next to my parents, next door to my parents, and they didn't even know we were divorced. They didn't even know I was living next door. So you couldn't, you felt you couldn't tell them it would break their heart. No, I couldn't, I could not. No, they were so old at that point. Um, they'd had every single child got, had gotten a divorce, every single one of their kids, except except Dan, my brother who had died, he had died in a hiking accident and they still had a, a marriage, a beautiful marriage. They were happy. And of course the happy married is the one that passed away it was the accident. Oh my goodness. And how my husband had always promised my dad, we will never get a divorce. We will never let you down. We'll be there, you know? So it was really hard to tell them. And another one of your kids is, you know, hit me. Like, it was like dropping like flies. And um, so I waited two years to tell my dad, my mom had Alzheimer's at that point. So she didn't really know anything that was going on but my dad was still very aware and um that was a hard day my husband said or my ex-husband said you need to tell him if you're not going to tell him I'm going to tell him because we were still having him over every Sunday for dinner at the house where I had we lived 
As so you two would get together. You would get together, have dinner together. And so when your parents came over, it was just like, of course, here they are. They're married. Yeah, and here's here we the are. Dinner. Happy family. My kids were in on it. Everybody was keeping the secret from my dad because he was 80. No, he was in his nineties. Yeah. So it was like, he's too old. We don't yeah, need to why? drop this ball on him. Why? Yep. So we didn't, and we didn't, and we didn't until my husband was like, he was tired of having to make up little lice. Cause my mom, my dad would say, where's Lila? You know, he'd come over un unannounced. Where's Lila? And he'd have to make up a lie. Why I wasn't home. Yeah. Or and why I wasn't at the ward because I was going to a different ward by then I was living in Lehigh. So it was just too much to, to do. And I understood that my dad handled it unbelievably. He was just, Oh, he kind of laughed. He said, really? Well, that makes a lot of sense. You know, he says, I, I now everything's coming together. And he was like, well, you seem to be good friends. You're getting along. And I said, yeah, we actually are better friends now than we ever were married. We're way better, better. Like we couldn't do marriage, but we were great friends. We still did trips with the kids. You know, we traveled, we did all kinds of stuff. I was hanging out there all the time. So that was an interesting day, you know, for my dad to find out we were divorced and he didn't even, he wasn't even upset. So I don't know what, if he'd forgotten that all the other kids had gotten yeah. a divorce. Or was. He was so used to it by then. He's like, ah, another one. Yeah, but I understand whatever. that. No, I have a family yeah. member who divorced. Gosh, I think she was divorced almost 30 years uh, and never told her parents. And I know she was able to do it just by kind 30. of saying, yeah, no, she was able. And, and this is a family member who I was a, a young child while they were a, a married family member. So we were always told that this family member was off, he that he was in the military or that he was oh. somewhere else, you know, and we just never really knew. And oh. then, of course, as I was an adult, I realized, oh, they've been, you know, not officially divorced, but separated all oh, these okay. years, all these years. And oh then finally, God. when the elder family member, her father passed away, you know, in his 80s and she's in her 60s. Finally, then she's like, okay, now I can go ahead and actually get the divorce. But I kept thinking, that's so sad because she could have had a whole different life. Yeah. Right? She, she was only married in her 40s and... when they separated. She could have gotten married again. That's All these things so could have happened. Sad. But still, she just felt she could not disappoint, you know, the, the patriarchal kind of part of the family. And it's so, a lot of pressure. Yeah. It can pressure. be. Yeah. Especially, yeah. you know, when my, I felt so bad because my dad and mom had lost so many, all the, all right. their kids had gotten a divorce except for the one. Right. And that was just so much disappointment. You know, I just didn't want to be another disappointment. Wow. So, and they were old enough that, you know, we yeah. could kind of pull it off for a while yeah. there. No, but it's yeah. like not telling them that you've stepped away from the church. That's my situation. Right. It's just like, why? really go there they're not really going to understand and but then again it stops you from having a more authentic relationship but then again maybe That's you true. never did i mean you know it's just so funny all these little barriers yeah, there in the you're way. right yeah it's it can't, i mean i can't imagine waiting 30 years that's a little yeah. ridiculous because I'd want to move ridiculous. on with my life. Yeah. This you know, was like, like way back in the day, you know, like, but yeah. still. And so all this time though, you were an active member of the church and, and all of that. That is so. Interesting. Oh yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. hundred percent. And you never really got, it seemed like uh, you just had gotten uh, the divorce and, and you were just getting your life going. And then 
your uh, ex-husband got cancer and you start right. taking care of him and then your father and sounds like you almost yes. you went to launch and you couldn't quite I know I couldn't I couldn't launch yeah that's really true it was one thing after another yeah my mother died and then and um right after but this is before I left the church um she died then my ex-husband's mother died exactly a year later on the same day and then my dad and then Hal my ex got sick and that was in he was diagnosed in late 2015 early 2016 somewhere around there and died the end of 2017 so we had been divorced since 2014 but when he got diagnosed he was okay for a while like he it, it didn't get to the point where he needed help until probably mid about early to mid 2017 like he had 18 months where he was doing chemo mm -hmm. and it bought him some time and then he he was losing the battle it was already stage four when they found it so he was losing the battle and yeah that was when I I had been living in Lehigh and I just thought I realized this is too hard on my kids they were the ones that were there trying to take care of him and they would have been teenagers like young younger teenagers uh, oh, right? they were, if, if some you're... were married some of them okay. were married but your youngest ones kids. they would have been no pretty my youngest young. my very youngest one when he died was was 14 yeah like a younger teenager oh my gosh how yeah. rough jeez yeah so <clears throat> that's when i stepped in I was like, I gotta, I gotta go. I gotta go take care of this. I can't leave him and my kids dealing with this. And so I quit my job up there and I moved back into the house and started taking care of him. And I, and he ended up having to go to a rehab place where, cause he slipped and broke his hip. It, the cancer had invaded all of his bones. So they were really brittle and almost like powder, like they were falling apart. And he slipped and fell on his 60th birthday. We had a big birthday party for him out in the street. We had food trucks, the whole ward neighborhood and everybody, everybody who'd ever known him came to that. It was beautiful, but he was on the, he died a month later. So he was right at the end and he was still able to walk, but he slipped and fell going to get the door and he shattered his pelvis right there on the floor of the family room and so we had to get him into a hospital situation then so it just went swiftly downhill after that and it was really a hard oh it I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy it was just brutal and um yeah it was devastating for my kids and um you know it was just the hardest thing they loved their dad. He was a lot of fun with them. And, you know, he was a good guy. You know, we weren't great as a married couple, but, you know, he was a good man. And um, my dad loved him. They were like, they were tight. They were best friends. So it was really hard on my dad to lose him. Um, anyway, that's, yeah. So that's kind of what happened there with the illness. 
you know, and I had been dating, but I wasn't like ready to marry anybody. Right. And he had been dating. I had met a bunch of his girlfriends. They came to his party. He, he invited all these girls that he had been dating on Mormon websites, you know, <laughs> and they're all these cute girls and they all came to his birthday party. It's like, they all knew each other. It was kind of funny. I had met them at the house. I mean, I wasn't bothered at all about him dating. I wanted him to be happy. Right. I really, really wanted him to be happy. The hard thing was he had gotten all these blessings, patriarchal, not patriarchal, priesthood blessings. Healing priesthood blessings, yeah. Promising him that he would be healed. There was no, if it's God's will, they were like, you will be healed. You will go on. You will see your grandkids marry. You will live a long and fruitful life, which is what his patriarchal blessing said too. And then he, he died. And it was so... I was like, that was probably the biggest crack in my shelf that day when that he died, because it was like, I still thought that the priesthood blessings were going to somehow miraculously save him. And somehow he was going to cheat cancer. And when he didn't, I thought, this is bullshit. I really did. It was, that was a big one. It was like, my kids fasted twice for five days oh. and it, and they, and they were all sure he was going to survive. He was going to make it. So like, what does that mean? You know, when the priesthood, when you get priesthood blessings, promising you that you will be healed and then you aren't, does that tell you that you don't have enough faith? Does that say the hell didn't have enough faith? Yeah. Was it my kids? Did somebody cheat when they were fasting? You know, it's like, we look at ourselves and think, what did we do wrong that that blessing wasn't, did not happen? My dad gave him a blessing. His dad gave him a blessing. Our home teachers, we had the bishop, we had the stake president. He had multiple blessings and every single one of them told him he would be healed. That he would be healed. See, and this was probably pre the last couple of years, you've heard the faith not to be healed, not to be healed. right? Which is a this great loophole because yeah, it's also, you didn't do enough, but then it's like, if it's not supposed to happen, you have to have the faith to let that happen. It's a great out because I think a lot uh, of people feel like you felt what happened, that blessing, you know, yeah. it was supposed to work. Now we know you just have the faith not to be healed. So there's an answer for everything. Is, so guess. it's like, why do we even have? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. You yep. have to have the faith that they won't work. Yeah. Come on. What no, is that? They can be Sorry really detrimental. Excuse. No, my husband has a story um, on his mission where there was a baby that was dying. He was a brand new missionary. His companion kind of like shoves him into the room and says, give this baby a blessing. You know? So my Aww. husband does it. And of course, you're supposed to say you're going to be fine. You know, you're going to. Yeah. And the baby wasn't fine. The baby died. I mean, I think my husband still remembers that about why was I put in that situation he was traumatized, yeah. you know, it's just it's problematic, problematic. Yes. And he's probably thinking, did I not have enough faith? Did exactly. I do something wrong? Was exactly. I supposed to say something else? Yep. I, I thought I was supposed to say the healing yep. blessing. What I was, it's, it's too much to put on it on yep. a person. Yeah. You know, a person giving the blessing, they're supposed to channel the God's will right on cue, you know, somehow. That's just not, and it doesn't work only works. Sometimes it's like the same amount that people live or die when they have a disease is the same amount of blessings that work. 
Yeah. It's I like, will say that I, I think it works when it's a placebo effect, you know, if somebody maybe yeah. does not, I have in my family, very close family member who it was more of a, you know, a hypochondria situation. And then in going, getting a priesthood blessing from, you know, an area authority instantly, you know, the recovery, but it was absolutely the placebo effect. Mental so, thing. Yeah, yeah, it was a mental, exactly. It was more of a mental issue. So yeah, that's interesting. So, so you mentioned that's the first crack in your shelf, because I don't think I have ever heard your story of your faith journey story. Would, if you'd be comfortable sharing a little bit about that, because yeah. I don't think I know that. Okay. I'll, yeah. Once again, I try to be brief, but I am, I have a tendency to wax long. Yeah. So you don't um, have to be brief. We're good. This is absolutely fascinating. <laughs> it, my story is kind of brief. And I think it's because all along growing up, seeing my dad is just a man seeing that all the brethren are just men that they're not anything special and that they make mistakes um i think i always kind of knew and was a little bit mm, not so sure about my testimony in that regard um as far as the leaders go um i also struggled with the dnc i never believed the dnc not for one minute it sounded so culty and weird and the language in it was just, mm -mm. oh, it's Joseph Smith channeling God and telling, you know, Emma that she needs to allow him, you know, all these things. And, and I just never believed it. But the Book of Mormon, I was sucked into that. And I read that thing 150 times if, if I read it once. I just loved the Book of Mormon. My kids all have memories of me reading it every night. I just always read it. Um, and so I really believed that until one day. So I had these, I had a lot of shelf items and I would, I would always say a lot. One of them was why does God allow pain and suffering? Why does he allow babies to die? But pedophiles and serial killers are still tromping around, but the babies are dying you know, from, from leukemia and things, I, I just could not understand why God would allow things like that. And it just, you know, people would say, oh, well, we chose that before we came. It just never worked for me. I was like, who, how do you know that? You don't know that you're, you're making that up. Why do you think we chose that? That is a, an answer. That's a, that's a primary school answer. You know, um, we chose to come here and suffer. Because we look around and we see we're all suffering. So we must have chosen it, right? So this part of life, we're in the celestial kingdom. You know, all the stories, they just didn't always work for me. So I had this shelf loaded up with questions I was going to ask God someday. And then one day I was minding my own business, getting ready for the day. And I had the TV on. And somebody was interviewing a guy who was a cult expert. I don't even know who it was. It might've been Hassan. I, I don't know, but they were going through a list of cult uh, characteristics of a cult or, or criterion. And I'm listening to this. And the first one was a, a charismatic leader who thinks that he is talking to God or for God. And he believes that he has you know, he wants to start a new sort of religion. That's number one. Um, number two, they set up a strict moral code that they themselves don't necessarily have to keep. 
Number three, they start wanting to have sex and marry multiple women. And this is Never a Mormon fail. thing, right? <laughs> and I'm sitting there, I'm, I'm like brushing my hair going, what? And I thought, oh my gosh, the more they went down the list, I thought, am I in a cult? Is this a cult? And I was freaking out, like sweat literally was starting to pour down my forehead because I felt I was like, oh my gosh, I am in a cult. Because every little thing I was going, check, 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 check. Oh my gosh, check. They want to start, uh, they, they move the group of people to a place away from everywhere else. They try to isolate the people. Oh I'm thinking the trek to the Great Salt Lake Valley. And then, you know, they start controlling what you can eat and drink and what you can wear. And I was like, oh my gosh, garments, no alcohol, no this, no that, you know, the word of wisdom, just everything that they mentioned fit. So that was a huge break that day. I walked around, literally didn't have any spit in my mouth. I was panicking the whole day. And then something, I don't know, I just kind of put it on the shelf. Right. I was like, well, that was just coincidental and we're not culty. Like I don't do culty things right. and, and there's nothing culty really well, the temple kind of, but I don't, I never, I don't like to go to the temple, so I'm not going there anymore. I just stopped. Going to the <laughs> so then the, the biggest thing I kind of went on my way. And then in 20, 20, eight, no, 2019, it was 2019. I'm living here in this little house after my dad died and we sold his house and all that. And once again, I'm minding my own business. And one of my girlfriends sends me a video by, um, Carolyn Pearson about the ghost of eternal polygamy, which is a book that she had written. Yes. She goes, will you watch this? I'm scared. My boyfriend gave it to me to watch it. I'm scared to watch it. She goes, will you watch this? And I was like, sure. Yeah, yeah, sure. So I turn it on and she's an active believing Mormon, Mm -hmm. but she's talking about all the stuff that Joseph Smith did and all the polygamy. And she's just laying it out there. Like I should know this. And I'm like, wait a minute. He he didn't practice polygamy. Did he? Or did he? Or wait a minute. And I started freaking out again. And then I remembered my brother many years earlier when I was probably 16, 17, 18 was involved in Sunstone. He was the editor publisher of Sunstone back in the day. And he would have talks at my house with my dad and my other brother and Paul Toscano and and Margaret. And they would have these long talks at home until three o'clock in the morning, four o'clock in the morning. And I would hide and listen. I would hide behind the couch or wherever where they wouldn't see me and listen to the whole thing because it's fascinating. They were talking about all the polygamy that Joseph had been doing and that he had gotten Eliza pregnant and Emma pushed her down the stairs and just all these stories. And I was freaking out back then, but I asked my dad and he said, Oh, those are just, don't worry about that. Those are just rumors. It's just, you know, anti-Mormon propaganda. Don't worry about any of that. We don't even know if it's true. These are stories. So in my young brain, I believed my dad 
Right. And I went on my merry way thinking there wasn't any me with Joseph Smith. And when she told me, when I read that, I think it was a podcast that I listened to. I freaked out again. I had my whole meltdown again, the whole sweating, shaking. It was a panic attack. And I was like, that's it. That is it. I am done. If my, if the prophet did that and lied about it, I'm out. That's it. I don't need one more. That's it. I'm done. And that was it for me. I never went back to church. I never prayed. Not even one more time after that. Stopped praying. Stopped reading the scriptures. Just knew it wasn't true anymore. And then I started watching Mormon stories. Because, yeah. <laughs> you know, you start going down the rabbit hole. Yeah, you try to find out what else is out there. Who else? Did you have any other family members of your brothers and sisters? Anybody yes. that was out or I anyone had, you could talk to? I had, a, I had an older brother, my oldest brother, my younger brother, John, and my younger sister, Lucy. They had all left before oh. I did. Okay. So I'm on the phone. I'm like, okay, <laughs> you guys. And they're all so going, brother, she's out. <laughs> yeah. They're like, Woo, high five, you know? And, and, and he was like, I didn't think you would ever leave Lila. He goes, I honestly didn't think you would. You were so in. And he goes, I had to walk on, you know, eggshells around yeah. you. Cause I was afraid I was going to freak you out whenever I'd say anything. And I was like, I am so mad. I am so mad that I didn't leave decades ago. Like I'm, I was 57. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, what? Oh, yep. oh all this. Yeah, we get yeah. it. 50s we were in our 50s yep. too. Yeah, we get it. It's a, it's a different, it's a different experience when you leave after five decades than, oh than these lucky, yeah. lucky people who figured out at even 30 or something, you know, you have your yeah, whole, I would kill to have those different years for us. Yeah. Very different. Yeah. So yeah. Lila, can I ask you, um, uh, and and you may not know this, but uh, you you said that you know the you'd heard your dad talking about the, those things, and you you just found those out. Do you have any sense for? Do you think anyone in the twelve? What's your sense? Did you know we we read a lot, and we can tell that they're definitely they know some <sighs> of the history, and they're spinning it. Did your do you, is your take on it that they really believed, and they tried to hide it do you think any of them believe didn't believe or that they were you know why weren't they upset by that or you know what's what's your take yeah on that? i've thought about this a lot i think bh roberts definitely knew yes and he yeah. lost his testimony yes and he ended up staying because you know they made it well they sent him off they got rid of him as quickly as possible as soon as yeah. he brought it up they're like, get him out of here, yeah. you know. So go on a mission. But, yeah. They, they threw him under the yeah. bus in conference uh this time, too. Yes. Oh <laughs> so, I know. I think BH Roberts knew, and I think you know, the pressure in there, and it's a pressure cooker in that 12, the 15, the top 15. Yeah. I think they know a lot of things, but they only in code probably speak to each other about it. It's kind of like the taboo stuff. And they they are so highly motivated to stay in. They have money. They have yeah. fame. They yeah. have power. They have the world at their feet. They, you know, it's just too much to lose. 
their investment is too big. That's what I think. I think even if they know and they have lost their testimony, they would never let it, let it on to any of us or admit it even maybe amongst themselves. I think it's kind of the unspoken. Like we don't talk about that. Yes, there's problems, but we don't discuss that. We, this is a positive moving forward church. We're, right. we're looking at the future. We're not looking back. Yeah. They don't want to look back. And it's the ultimate, ultimate prop, probably the ultimate confirmation bubble, I guess, when you're yeah, in yes. confirmation bias bubble, all yep. the time talking to each other, telling each other. Yeah, exactly. It's okay. It's okay. And if it's like, it's yes. okay with him, I guess it's okay, okay with, with him. Me. Kind yep, of like when you go to the temple with your parents, I guess, you know, yes. and you're going, what is this? And you're, well, my dad's okay with dad's, it. My mom's yeah. okay. Maybe it's okay. Yeah, it's so true. I mean, it is that confirmation bias. It's that uh, everybody else is doing it. Am I weird? Maybe it's not, you know, maybe I just need to go along. And I think there are those that, especially in the past that have known and they covered it up. We know that about, you know, uh, was it um, Smith, Joseph, uh, Joseph the one that cut the vision out of the book. And, yeah. 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 They did it. Yeah. Put it in the safe. Yeah. You know, he, he knew they, they've had to have known they, the ones that were buying the, the, the uh, forgeries, they knew. Yeah. They're trying to cover that stuff up. They, they're like, Let's, you know, we got to buy it because we got to hide it. We don't want anyone to see this. Yeah. So they, they know, but they can't go there. It's like, I don't know. I'm trying to relate it to something else that we can all relate to where, I mean, I guess we can all relate to that church, but like a dirty family level. secret that you've got yeah, to like cover. a dirty yeah. family secret where you yeah. protect yeah and everybody knows you protect you don't talk about it you don't tell because it's the family name it is like that that's a great analogy exactly. yeah so i think they continually brush it under the rug if it crawls back out they quick brush it right back under they talk about the future and how great things are going now we're moving forward and if it's not going great they're willing to change the temple ceremony they're willing to change whatever they have to to keep people in they want to keep everybody happy and quiet and so they're just doing this um really good job as far i mean they had to do the they had to do those gospel topics essays right yes they had to do that but they put a major spin on them right to keep their faith promoting they they are trying their best and they don't tell anybody. So it's like, if you have the questions, go there. If you don't have the questions, we're not going to tell you. Yeah. Don't go there. <laughs> don't go there. Joking. Don't even look on our website if uh -uh. you can help it. Um, and we're certainly not going to bring it up and tell you about it. Yeah. So it's just like, I, I can't imagine the um, cognitive dissonance that goes on in their positions right now. They've got to have it. They've got to. I don't know how they sleep at night. I really don't. What What's your thoughts on on this SEC uh, thing with the uh, money oh. and, and how do you think your dad would react to such yeah. a thing? Because uh, they all know kind of sat back and we were going. Someone's got to raise their hand and say, "Okay, I can't and say I can't do this. I can't support that." You would think so. Nobody you would did, think so. so. There maybe it will maybe it will happen later. Um, and it probably would be anyone below the top 15, right? Maybe you mm -hmm. want someone a 70 or something 
once you're up in that top group, there is so much skin in the game that they would lose. They would be shot. They would be destroyed and their right. families too. So they just can't go there. I don't, I think they just figure, well, I'll just write it out and die. Never saying a word about what I really think. I think it was Didier. Was it Didier or, um, one of the other seventies who's foreign, I'm trying to remember knew uh, and admitted to um, the guy that left um, um, Hans, Hans Matson. Oh, Hans Hans Matson. Yes. Yeah. yes. Yeah. The Matsons. He, he spoke to one of the 12 and that guy admitted to him that he knew there were big problems, but he just couldn't do anything about it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of where I think a lot of them are. I do think there might be some who really don't know because it's so hush hush. They really don't know, but most of them have got to know. You yeah. would have to, you're seeing, you know, they're, they're in those meetings talking about problems. And I would think that it would come out here and there just enough that you would figure it out. Um, but it's, it's really rare for one of them to get the courage to do something about it. And yeah. well, they have everything to lose, like you said, absolutely yeah. everything to lose, which is yeah. crazy. So then after you have your faith crisis and you talked it over with siblings and families, it sounds like maybe you started to reach out and get involved in the post-Mormon community a little bit, yeah. things like that. Yeah. Did you find some kind of community like that? Cause some people don't, I they did. have no idea where to look. Other people dive right in. So yeah. Well, that friend that sent me that thing, um, that she and her boyfriend, when I said, oh my gosh, and I told her, this is true. This is true. I guarantee it. This happened because I remember my dad and my brothers talking about this. We decided there was a John DeLynn thing uh, a couple of nights later at, at, um, the church, community of Christ church. Okay. And we decided to go. And John Dillon was speaking in the group and I was fresh out, like still reeling from it all, still traumatized. And so my friend and I went, we sat there and um, I kept raising my hand and talking and saying things. And, and then afterwards I went up to him and I said, you know, um, my dad was, well, you know, I told him who my dad was and he goes, oh, 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 he goes, your brother. I know your brother. He left. He talked to me. I've heard all about this. And he goes, I knew you were having trouble. Somebody leaked the story to me that you were having trouble. And I racked my brain because I hadn't talked to anybody. I didn't know how he would know. But he said, I've heard. Maybe it was my brother that told him. <laughs> I never found out. But uh, he said, um, I, I'm going to have to get you on. We got to talk. You know, I'm going to get you on my show. Well, they didn't get me on till after RFM and Bill Real did. Uh, I was, okay. I did one with them first Okay. because I was watching their show and okay. I wrote, I wrote an email and I said, I love your show. You guys are awesome. Um, I'm a daughter of a, of a general authority and I just, you know, I just lost my faith and I'm freaking out. And so he said, who, you know? So when I told him, he goes, oh, well, we're going to get you on. Yeah. So that happened first. But anyway, it's been, I think people, you know, are kind of intrigued by the family life upbringing of a, of a GA family. And, you know, I had a big family. So um, there's, we have, most of my family is out now. 
there's three sisters that are still in and one of them knows that it's not true but she still goes to church she's still she married she remarried they've all divorced she remarried a guy who is not a member and they moved to texas and he keeps telling her listen to your sister listen to your sister she's right <laughs> and then her son left and he was a bishop in upstate new york oh, and wow. he had his faith and then he saw my podcast oh. out of the blue and freaked out sent it to his whole family and they're all like tbm so i didn't really like that he did that because now mm. i'm outed yeah but yeah, um <clears throat> he left so like little chunks little people are dropping off you know little by little i just found out one of my daughters left i didn't even know it oh. two days ago oh oh wow <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing cough drops there you go that's right no Everyone i just, drink again <laughs> I, i'm so wouldn't that be interesting to find out about the extended families of, you know, the general authorities that <coughs> in our age group, we all revered back then, you know, and just to see where everybody oh, yes. is at now, you know, cause you, you, you would imagine yes. that they would all be strong and in for millennia. Right. Yeah, and it's not, you would think, but not with the internet. Yeah. yeah no. No. Yep. That is the big difference. So <laughs> oh, my I, I think it's gotta be tough for Lila though, because your identity seems to always be tied to your father, you know, and yeah. the, it, you know, it's, Oh, I'm the daughter of a general authority. Uh, I guess when the first time I met you, I had no idea who you were. Um, and, and you're a lovely yeah. person. So it doesn't matter. <laughs> that you're, you're a uh, lovely person. The daughter. Yeah. Of, of a general authority. But I think you do give that ability to peel behind the curtain and kind mm -hmm. of see, you know, what mm -hmm. do people in those echelons really know like over there? Yeah. Yeah. Well, my, and I do think my dad was a little bit different yes. in that he didn't, he wasn't a cultural Mormon. Most of them are, you know, multi-generations of Mormonism and he wasn't, so he didn't really care about, you know, my, my brother's hair being short. He didn't care if I dated non-members, you know, right. Yeah, that is very different. Now, yeah, I wonder, yeah. does that, I mean, he was not an apostle. Does that have anything right. to do with it? The fact that, that he was a convert? I mean, yes, I, I, I believe that. it does. Um, Boy K. Packer did not like my dad at all. Made it very clear he didn't like him. And I think that's the main reason he said that my dad was just not um, the right, cut out of the right cloth. <laughs> And he was a little bit of a maverick too. Like he was wow. breaking, he broke rules. He didn't keep, he didn't like the rules. So when he was a mission president, he kind of went crazy and let them baptize people that shouldn't have been baptized. He was, he was trying to, he was trying to win a bet. He had a best friend who he had baptized many years earlier, our next door neighbor baptized him. Now he's a mission president at the same time as my dad. So they have, this bet that one of them is going to baptize more than the other one. And if any, my dad is nothing if he is not a competitor. Man, wow. I mean, such a competitor. So they were literally going down with vans, piling Mexican field workers into the vans, promising them food. We're going to go take you to the, the steakhouse and we're going to get you some food. Steakhouse. Yes, steakhouse. <laughs> 
literally take them over there and they'd have some food there, like whatever they could muster, right? Donuts and things like that. Give them a five minute rundown of what um, the gospel plan of salvation, have the font ready and just bring them in, just baptize them all where they literally had five minutes of a choice. And it was like, Hey, if you do this, you can come back next week and we'll have donuts again. And you can join the, you know, our ward is they'll take care of you in your, in the ward. So they were baptizing thousands, thousands and thousands of these Mexican field workers that didn't even speak English. And so he was breaking the mission rules all over the place. And, um, he had Bon J Featherstone flew in to give my dad the what for, for breaking all the mission rules. And um, by the time Bonjay Featherstone left, he stayed for several days. My dad took him all around, talked to him about how they had this plan. When they got him baptized, they'd give him a calling and get them going to the temple. And that's how they keep him in. He you know, told him he had this little plan and everything. Anyway, by the time Elder Featherstone left, he was on board and went back and said, let him do it. President Kimball said we would be baptizing by the thousands. He's doing yeah. it. Yeah. So just let him do it. <clears throat> now it's up to the ward to fellowship all these people in. Right. right so and was this San Diego area? I, I remember. Yeah. That's, I remember the stories about this. So, yeah. but you know, your dad was doing what was expected. That was what the message from the top. Exactly. You've got to baptize thousands. So your dad's creative. So he figures out how it's they can do creative. it. That, <laughs> That and yeah. I guarantee those members are still on the rolls today. Oh, you know it. They're on the rolls. <laughs> are they going? They no. <laughs> They've left. They probably only went once, if that. But right, yeah. but they're, they're still on the rolls because the don't even know what they're on or that they need to get off or they're even being Can counted. So. That? Oh they're my counted. gosh. But but boy K Packer still didn't like my dad. He did not like what he was doing. And so I think he was the one that kept him from ever moving up the ladder. Right. To be an apostle. And then he was made emeritus at 72. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was the end of it. And there it was. Wow. Yeah. No, I love it because you do, you have a, you have a window into what it was like. And especially decades ago, you know, where it was oh, a totally yeah. different world in the church, completely so different. different world, completely yeah. different world with the apostles and the level of hero worship, I think. I mean, oh my gosh, it was off the yeah. charts back in the 70s. It was just well, the church was growing. It was yes. really growing. Yes. And it was exciting, you it know, to be exciting. a part of it. You yeah. didn't have the internet kind of nope. letting any of the secrets out of the bag. Yeah. We were all just completely lied to. I yeah. mean, yeah. you know, yeah. it's, I don't know if they ever thought that it would happen, you know, that yeah. it would ever be made manifest. I think they thought they could hide it forever. The stone okay. in the hat. Who could foresee it? Yeah. Who could foresee it? And now that those things are out, they're trying to address them with explanations that make sense, but nothing makes sense. And now this last conference more than ever made me see that they really are just trying to become mainstream Christians. I mean, we're taping this before (laughs) Easter. And I think about how at conference they said, oh, of course, we're going to celebrate Good Friday. Of course, Palm Sunday. When I was growing up, you didn't do that. And Ever. you kind of looked down on friends and other religions that uh-huh. did that because what are those oh, that's holidays? A secular, yeah. That's Ex- not, yes. Yeah. Isn't that the funny? Gospel. 
Yeah. yeah, we don't do crosses and we don't yep. do palms. We don't do crosses. Oh my gosh. I know. Yeah. And that's why I think it's important for people of a certain age who left after decades to still kind of tell people what it was like. Because yeah, even my own kids, I'll say it was like no. this and they'll go, no, it wasn't. And I no. never heard that in seminary. I'm like, yes, it was. And you cannot yeah. gaslight me and tell me that it wasn't because right. it was. I remember. <laughs> so it's important. My kids that went through the temple, they're like, the temple there's nothing weird in the temple yes. <laughs> and i want to say yeah you weren't doing this, yes. and, yeah, this, yeah, and, this. Yeah. and they're like oh mom that never happened like, come on no you didn't have sorry. to say obey and i was yeah. like oh man did. i know that's i i can pull it up on the internet for you but they don't want to yep. hear that there it is. No, it's important. It's a living testimony from people that are more of our age to say, this is what the church was. But I also have no problem saying that growing up in the church in the seventies and eighties, it was a lot of it was very wonderful for kids, you know, yes, activities and parties and water skiing. I mean, none of our fun. kids have anything yeah. like that today in road shows. And so True. there's a reason that we all stayed in, you know, it was a wonderful social. I mean, of course there was the dark side, you know, now things come to light about, you know, abuses and, and, right, interviews right. and things like that. Yeah, but but still overall there was a lot of camaraderie a lot of friendship so you know it was a double-edged sword oh, i think gosh, but it's yeah. important to keep talking i think which is why we yeah. had you on so there it is <laughs> and did you have Thank any you. last questions for the lovely lila and then we'll all go take cough drops and probably take a nap and go to yes. <laughs> so, i just appreciate you coming on it was great to get Thank to hear your story and and to kind of peel back the the curtain and see behind yeah. that definitely Thank that was you. the the, all the people you're talking about are the people I grew up, you know, with, and they were my general authorities and my yeah. apostles. And, and so it was good to hear that and, and, and get a kind of a background story. So I really appreciate you coming on. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you so much. You know, I feel like, you know, you asked, what am I doing now? And what, you know, what's great about being on the other side. And I literally was rack racking my brain. I thought I'm just living my life. I'm not doing anything. And special. that's it. Yeah. I'm just, but it's your I'm life, my life. That's what I'm saying. Right? You're living your life. That is exact. That's what I mean. That's According it. Just to, to be able to terms. say that. Yep. Yes, yep. exactly. My terms, no rules. Nobody, nobody's telling me I can't yep. or I have to, or any of those things. And so that is um, the best thing ever. It is. It's the, it, that is the gift of the faith crisis, you know, yep. coming out reclaim, on the other side, reclaim your life so much better yeah yes. i'm much happier oh in every way happier i can't think of one way well it would be the one way would be that my kids probably view me as um having dropped off the you know into the deep end yeah some of them some of them but some don't some of them get it yeah <laughs> yes. and that's hard because i raised them that way you know they yes. don't that's the hard part. Know. It's I taught them that. And yeah. now I can't blame them if they <laughs> think that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. right? You can't. So many of us in that scenario who leave, you know, after decades that you're like, you do, you have some kids that get it. They understand maybe they're, they've also left and others that just think, you know, you worry about the relationship. So that's a yeah. whole nother episode. We'll have you back to talk that about is. that kind of stuff. Because <laughs> seriously, I think it's great to talk about, you know, people that are going yeah. through the same kinds of things. And, and when you leave after decades, you have, like you said, parents on the one side, you're in a sandwich, basically. You have kids, you know, looking at you from below up and you have parents looking down at you and you're just in the sandwich in the middle. So there are different, you know, dynamics to that, that it's Definitely. good to talk over with people Definitely. that understand. So yeah. Yeah. 
another episode. So. I can see it now, Landon. Let's All right. And there it is. Okay. It was really awesome. fun. Thank you yes. so much. Thank you so much, Lila. This was absolutely wonderful. So um, everybody, please like and subscribe. And you can hit the notification button if you'd like to get uh, get notified right away when a new episode is hot off the presses. And Mormonish will sign off for tonight. Thank you, everybody. Thanks. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Mormonish. We really appreciate our listeners and would love to hear from you if you have a story you'd like to share. You can email us at mormonishpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and on our website, mormonishpodcast.org. And don't forget to look for us on YouTube and like and subscribe. Keep joyful, everybody.